Uh, hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark, Acts chapter 4. We're going to be there in just a moment, in just a moment. I wanted to share something with you uh, that uh, we actually voted on as a church council. Uh, you, we do have a church council here, even though we're not uh, ran by a board. Um, we are uh, church council informed. So our church council, we meet together and uh, we kind of make sure the budget is where it needs to be and that financial decisions aren't just being handled by uh, one person behind closed doors. And so one of the things that the Lord um, kind of put on my heart, I mean, not necessarily the Lord, but uh, it happened after a conversation with uh, a good buddy of mine. Uh, my friend Anthony Flores, Pastor Anthony Flores, you may or may not know him. Uh, I don't think we've ever had him speak here, but he pastors a church in downtown Fresno, downtown Fresno. And um, he started his church in his living room uh, right around the same year that Lindsay and I started our church in our living room. And uh, he started with 12 people. Uh, we started with three, uh, so he had a jump start. Um, <coughs> then, and we did we did not. Uh, and uh, and the Lord's just been doing incredible things. Uh, he he's been reaching uh, the inner city of Fresno, a very uh, downtown area. And uh, it, I mean, he would say it this way, so I will too. He he ministers in the hood. All right, his church is in the hood. And uh, what's incredible about that? is the ministry that they've been doing there for the last, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years has just been uh, growing. And, uh, and so much so that they have a building. It's, it, the sanctuary would be about the size of our sanctuary. And uh, they, run, they were doing six services a Sunday to accommodate all the folks that were coming. And uh, those services were packed. And uh, that, that building has transitioned over the last uh, about year and a half, about 18 months, They've been in a theater, in a movie theater, the, Tow the Tower Theater in downtown Fresno. Anybody from Fresno? Anybody from Fresno? All right. Well, okay. You know what? Be thankful. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Be thankful. <laughs> There's a reason Pastor Anthony's called to Fresno and I'm called to Roseville, and I don't think he'll watch this, so I think we're good. Um, but <laughs> Fresno's a rough place, and, um, and it's hot, too, it and it doesn't get the breezes or the, you know, it's, we'll keep going. But uh, he pastors in downtown Fresno. They were filling up their services, and they've been meeting in a theater that they rent on Sunday mornings. Well, during COVID, the owner of that theater approached them and said, we would, we would like to sell you this theater uh, in, in downtown Fresno. We would like to sell it to you, and we're going we're gonna to sell it to you at a, at a million five off the listing price. So though it's valued at about $6.5 million, uh, $6 million, they're going to sell it for $5 million to, uh, to Anthony and his congregation. And so he was walking me through this and telling me, and he said the Lord put on his heart to just ask five of his pastor friends if they would pray about um, each giving $5,000 towards this project. Their church is giving $5,000 towards it. Uh, what's really cool is in order to get to secure a loan, they needed uh, a $700,000 uh, a $700,000 push, and then they were going to raise $300,000. And there was a person in their congregation whose business, kind of like an angel investor, uh, fronted the $700,000. And so they were left to raise $300,000. And uh, so then he called five of his friends, said, would you each give a $5,000 each? And he's got some other people in the congregation that are giving funds as well. And um, it's just, it's a really, does it sound like God? It does everything else, does it sound like God yet to you? Um, it sure did to me when I was hearing about it. And so we actually, uh, on Thursday of this week, uh, we sent a church to, uh, we sent a check uh, from our church to Adventure Church in Fresno for $5,000. And uh, the reason we get to do that is because you guys give. Um, there, that's the only reason we get to give, right? And so I really feel strongly that we were never to pastor a church that didn't ask its congregation to be generous and then didn't model generosity, right? Like if, if, 
if we ask you to be generous with your funds, shouldn't the organization itself model a heart of generosity? And so pretty incredible stuff that we get to do that with. And, you know, we've done the wells in Ghana and different things like that. Um, and we did dig our fifth well this year and gave $5,000 to this project. So can we give the Lord a hand? I mean, come on, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And what's really cool is um, they're going to be able to uh, they're going to be able to do ministry there for a really long time, and that building has plenty of room for them to continue to grow. And they also have the the building that they they own down the street, which is about the size of ours. So incredible opportunity. People are getting saved all the time over there, and um, and what's really cool is they have an, an amazing discipleship program. Uh, to get people off of some of those addictive type lifestyles that so many people find themselves in. And so just incredible. And so I wanted to share that with you, but I also wanted to say if you would like to give towards that, um, if you'd like to give towards that, we've already sent the check, it's already done, but if you would like to begin to offset and give towards that as well, uh, you can do that by going online and doing uh, the drop down should be called uh, no strings attached, no strings attached. There will be a drop down on the online column and you can give towards that. Everything that comes in under that column for the next month, we will give directly towards that project. We'll make sure it gets allocated directly towards that project. And then also, um, actually that's not also, that's it. That's, that's the amazing thing that God is doing and uh, it's incredible. We also did small groups this week. We had our first two uh, home group launches this week and uh, got to be face to face with some folks again, thank God, and uh, had a couple dozen people in, uh, in small groups. So if you are interested, we have two home groups on Thursday nights. Uh, one is down in Arden Arcade and the other is up here in Roseville. And uh, the one in Arden Arcade has, uh, is for 20s and 30s, 20s and 30s, so all the way through your 30s. And we are offering child care at that one. And then the one in Roseville is really all ages, but there is no child care at that one. So um, if you do bring a small child, just know you might have to you know, walk out, walk in, different things like that. Uh, but we love you guys, and uh, we're excited for what God is doing. And I like, I like that next week we're starting to be getting back to our a uh, little bit back to normal with our routine of two services and providing a little bit more options for folks. But I feel like I want to pray again before I jump into the sermon. And what that does is it gives me time to think about what I'm going to say next. All right? <laughs> Sound good? It's a, little preacher it's a little preacher trick. All right. Father, we thank you so much for what you want to do today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts with your word. Lord, we don't ever, gosh, Lord, we, we don't want to gather out of routine or tradition uh, or just pure discipline, we want to gather as those who are hungry to hear a word from God. Lord, I'm hungry in this season. I'm hungry to hear something fresh from your spirit. I'm hungry for you to do a new work in my life, and our church is hungry to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak deep to our hearts, that you would transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 13. We're going to base the whole sermon on just a, a little phrase in this passage, but it's Acts 4.13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Another version says that it's unlearned. That's like the King James version, unlearned men, uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. And it's, not, it's interesting, they're not marveling at their stupidity. You think that's what it would be. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. 
uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So it's referencing the disciples, right? And the disciples are going around and they're changing the world. We, we, we reference today, they turn the world upside down, as Acts tells us. Uh, they're doing incredible things. They're taking the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus gave them and implanted into their hearts, and they're spreading it around the known world, right? They're spreading around Jerusalem. People are getting saved. Miracles, signs, and wonders are happening. And just when they thought that, hey, if we take out Jesus... We'll squash this thing called Christianity. We'll, we'll squash all his followers. Instead, the very opposite happened, right? It actually, it was like a mushroom cloud of Christianity from the center point of Jerusalem around the whole world. And it's funny, the Pharisees, they see Peter and John, and they perceive these were uneducated and untrained men. The first statement I want to make today is that not all education is good education, right? I, I have to wonder, why did Jesus choose fishermen instead of Pharisees. You know, he could have, he was a rabbi, he came with a new doctrine and a new teaching. He could have started with the cream of the crop, right? He could have started with the best of the best, the ones who knew the Old Testament inside and out, the ones who were educated in in classical uh, Hebrew education. He could have had the best that that society had to offer in terms of disciple, and he overlooks that and he goes after fishermen. And uh, it's interesting that the Pharisees make that observation, uneducated and untrained men. I wonder sometimes if we learn patterns of thinking and systems that keep us back from all that God wants for us. I wonder if he had to go to fishermen instead of Pharisees because the Pharisees knew too much and he wouldn't be able to unlearn them from all that they already knew. How many of you know that that is so easy to do in our walk with Jesus? I have to wonder if that's not why Jesus says, come to me like a little child. Because so, so when do we stop coming to Jesus like a little child? Hmm, maybe never. Doesn't give us a, really an escape clause. When, well, when do I get to graduate? I wonder if one of the aspects of coming to Jesus like a little child is because a little child has everything to learn, has everything to learn and very little to offer. And it's a posture, isn't it? It's a posture of how we come to the Lord. We don't come as those who have it together. We don't come as those who know a lot. In fact, I wonder if Jesus had to choose fishermen instead of Pharisees because the Pharisees knew more than Jesus. And if every conversation that he would have with them, they would say, yeah, but, but, but wait, but, yeah, but. Anybody ever find themselves in a yeah, but scenario? Maybe God's pressing in on your heart to have a life transformation, or maybe he's sharing some stuff with you that you haven't heard before that maybe is difficult. Yeah, but. Anybody ever been in the argument with maybe your spouse? Uh, of course, no one here. Um, but, you know, your friend's been in an argument with their spouse, and, and they're, they're sharing their heart with you. They're sharing how they feel or how your relationship has impacted them. And the, everything in you wants to say, yeah, but, yeah, but you just don't really get it. You don't really understand. And sometimes we learn patterns of thinking that keep us from new patterns of thinking. And I wonder if Jesus didn't have to choose fishermen because the, ta- because the Pharisees had gotten to a place where their patterns of thinking were so ingrained that Jesus didn't have a clean slate to work with. That every time Je- he, he could see the future, he said, I know that these guys are not going to get it. I know that it's going to take so many different things for these guys to get it. I'm going to go with folks who are a little more pliable, 
a little more moldable, a little more shapeable. They're not so ingrained in their patterns of thinking. Why fishermen and not Pharisees? I want to say this. Fishermen had not yet been programmed in the religious society. The fishermen hadn't been programmed in that religious society. Pharisees, they knew all the stuff already. I have to tell you, I encounter this regularly. I encounter folks who know all the stuff. And when you know all the stuff there is to know, how many know there's nothing else to learn? And when there's nothing else to learn, then it makes it really hard for a leader to help lead you to a place of God's best and for your life. It makes it really hard for you to have a pastor or a mentor. In fact, in, there's a season in my life that I cried out for a mentor. Oh, God, I wanted a mentor so bad. And a friend of mine said, you know, you know the saying, right? And I said, well, well no, what is the saying? When the student is ready, the mentor will come. You know, and I was like, you are so wise, Daniel son. You know, I mean, it was one of those like, you know, golden kind of moments where it's like, wow, yeah, that's true. Because how many of you know we cry out for mentors in our life, but then when we get them, have you ever done this? You pick apart their life in order to give you excuses to not have to listen. You find ways to dishonor who they are and what they have, and you look at their weaknesses because, man, well, I can't listen. I mean, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. Okay, I'm just telling you that. I'm an expert at that. I am an expert at that. I'm an expert at having God bring me someone in my life who wants to pour and share and everything, and then finding out one thing and be like, I can't ever listen to that guy. I can't ever listen to that girl. What a terrible response, right? Can I tell you what that is? And I don't mean to sugarcoat it, and I'm not going to. Pride. It's sin. It's your arrogant, prideful humanity creeping out with its ugly little forked teeth saying, ah, you're going to listen to me now to keep you from everything that God wants for your life. We come to Jesus as a fisherman. We come to Jesus as a child because that's some clay that he can mold. It's not that he wants to keep us dumb, but he wants to keep us pliable. And sometimes we believe, and scripture says, knowledge puffs up. Pharisees had to choose a rabbi they had to follow that they would become like. See, the thing about a Pharisee is all those Pharisees who were then Pharisees had years before already picked the rabbi that they were going to embody, that they were going to become like, that they were going to imitate, that they were going to follow. So by the time Jesus came as a new rabbi, they'd already picked a rabbi to follow. How many know that had been a lot of work to undo? In fact, he wouldn't, so he went for fishermen. And Jesus had to start with folks who had not undergone this religious programming. I want to talk to you about something that I was introduced to. Uh, shout out CrossFit Roseville. Shout out Jesse. I know you're watching. Uh, called Neuro Linguistic Programming. All right? Not my idea. His. Has anybody ever heard of this? Neuro Linguistic Programming. Uh, NLP. I'm going to read, read about it real quick. NLP's creators claim there is a connection between neurological process, language, and behavioral patterns. Right? learned through experiences, i.e. programming, and that these can be changed to achieve specific goals in life. So let me, let me put it in my own words. What I say, what I think, what I do actually changes who I am over time. That what I think, what I say, what I do changes who I am over time. So uh, this is a, a method they use in, in getting fit and staying healthy, right? It's one of those things that uh, you pick a model, you pick a behavior, and instead of looking at a goal and saying, well, I'm going to lose, 
90 pounds in 90 days, that's a, that don't do that, by the way. Um, that would not be healthy. But uh, if I'm going to do, I'm going to lose 90 pounds in days, I mean, that's going to be my goal. Instead of looking at goals, look at behaviors and look at disciplines. Instead of saying, well, I'm going to take the next week and I'm going to become everything God's called me to be. How about, no, no, how about take an hour every day for the rest of your life or 20 minutes every day for the rest of your life and become everything that God's called you to be. Instead of saying, well, I'm going to read through the entire Bible in 24 hours, right? Instead of doing that, how about read a chapter a day for the next 24 years at the same time and create a space for God to speak to your life, behavior and discipline and patterns of thinking over time. The NLP methodology is I can model the skills of exceptional people allowing anyone to acquire those skills. So I I look at an exceptional person and I begin to model their behavior. In fact, I would say this, you know what? Don't listen to sermons. Ask the pastor what he's been reading. Very different way to think about it. I used to love, I, I was the facilities guy and I would clean all the pastor's offices because I was a facilities guy for a large church. And I would always look at the desks on what, was, what, what the pastors were reading. And those were the books that I ordered, right? And it was funny because the, the books on the desks of the pastors were so different than the books that I was reading in Bible college. And I think that's why I'm still in ministry <laughs> is because I stayed grounded with what actually changes people which what actually transforms people. Because how many of you know Bible college can get real heady and you can get indoctrinated in those pharisaical patterns of religion, right? 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, I, I love that because any kind of new idea, this is kind of something that NLP was kind of presented in the 70s by a couple of psychologists. And, you know, there's arguments around it, uh, if it works, if it doesn't work, all those things are true of anything. Um, but it's funny, it was introduced in the 70s, but any idea that has some weight to it I've always been able to take and find it in scripture. Like we call things new, like, oh, did you know about this new way to do dot, dot, dot? And yet the Bible was talking about those things thousands of years before. Look at this and just think of neuro-linguistic programming. 1 Corinthians 11.1, and you should imitate imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Okay, I'm going to read the definition of NLP for you. Methodology can model the skills of exceptional people, allowing anyone to acquire those skills. What does Paul say to his followers, to the Corinthian church? And you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. The beauty of our faith is that you don't have to make it up. You don't have to come up with your own things. You simply imitate what you see Jesus doing. Paul was saying, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, the best way to find a mentor, don't wait for somebody to sit you down and say, my calling is to mentor you. I'm going to mentor you and pour into your life. That may, listen, you might wait a lifetime and that won't happen. Find somebody who's doing what you want to do, the way that you want to do it, living the life that you want to live and just begin to maybe ask them questions. If you don't have that opportunity, just observe. What are they doing? How are they living? How are they following Christ? I'm going to follow them like they follow Christ. His thoughts, his language, his behavior. Paul was so confident in how he followed Christ, he told an entire church, hey, just watch me. Just watch me. Do what I do. I mean, that's not complicated at all. Anybody ever overcomplicate their faith? We do, don't we? We do. We want to study other things that nobody else has studied. We want to look into situations that nobody else has looked into. It's like, dude, just read, read and pray every day. 
Read and pray every day. Go to church. Love your wife. Love your kids. Serve God. Do what he says. Be generous. Just do the stuff that everyone has been doing who has grown in Christ their entire lifetime. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out on uh, the carpet a little bit. Um, sorry, Derek. Uh, I need to apologize, pre- pre-apologize for you uh, for this. Um, but our guy Derek back there at the soundboard, he is leading a Bible study right now uh, with about nine guys he works with at Costco. And they use the side prayer room on Tuesdays. And many of them are not believers. And he leads this Bible study. It's like 1030 in the, in the morning. They all come before their shift. They study the word together. And it's like, like if you knew, this is hard to say without embarrassing you. So I'm just going to do it. If you knew Derek two and a half years ago, you'd say like, oh, oh, is he ready for that? Is he ready? Derek has grown. Why has Derek grown? Because he's brilliant? Well, he is. You are brilliant, Derek. Why has, we had this conversation, why has Derek grown? Derek has not grown because he's the most brilliant guy in the room. Derek has grown because he has simply done day after day, week after week, for the last two and a half, three years, what God shows him to do. He, he follows the scripture. He reads it. He said, I need to implement that in my life. It's super simple. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How does faith come by hearing? Sounds like neuro-linguistic programming, doesn't it? How is your faith going to grow? You got to hear the word of God. You got to hear the word of God, but don't stop there. Look at James 1, through 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deluding yourself. So for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his own face in a mirror. Sounds like what scripture is saying is that we need to hear from God, and then what we hear, we need to put into practice, and then we have to have people who model that behavior, and over time, we grow in Jesus. Wow, does that not sound like the brilliant neuro-linguistic programming that was just discovered? It sounds exactly like it. This is the pattern of growth in the kingdom of God, is surrounding yourself with the word of God, surrounding yourself with the people of God, people that you can look up to and model your life after, and then not just listening but actually behaving in a different way. Sounds like my learning must become my behavior. Look at Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God. I think most of us translate this verse into how our own lives, therefore, be studiers of God. Study God. Is there room for studying in the kingdom of God? Absolutely. But that study should lead us to imitation. If it, if it stays with study, then all we are is, an, is a neurological, academic-based faith, and that's not what we are. We are a faith in a real God who changes our real lives and calls us to live in a real world as lights in the darkness, as totally different. And everywhere we go, things around us begin to change and walk in love as Christ also has loved and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. I want to say this phrase, it's a popular phrase in business, imitate before you innovate. I will say this, for me, I like, I want to be the guy doing something new. Anybody have that, that desire in your life? Like, I want to be the guy, I want to be the first one to arrive. Like, I wanted to be the guy that made the Tesla. I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be the guy that made a colony on Mars. That, that was supposed to be me. 
um, but I didn't like school. So um, it, ended up being, it ended up being Elon, but he owes me half, all right? Um, here's the thing. I wanted to be the I love. I love being the first one to discover things, but sometimes we're so busy trying to discover something new that we forget most of what we have is already out there and waiting for us to simply imitate. Let's not be people who strive to innovate. Let's be people who strive to imitate. Man, you find somebody in your life who raised good and godly kids? Bro, sis, imitate them. How'd you raise good and godly kids? I want to do what you did. Tell me how you did it. Tell me what you did. Tell me what you were thinking. Tell me how many spanks you gave on an average Sunday afternoon. You know, I mean, we don't spank around here. Wink. Um, <laughs> that's just for the cameras. Okay, find someone, find someone you admire and imitate them. You find somebody who's, oh, man, I'll tell you what, that marriage, man, if I could have a marriage like that. Don't wait till you're married to ask the question. Say, hey, how do you have a marriage like that? Man, if I could pastor a church like that, don't wait until you have a church. Ask, how do you pastor a church like that? Man, if, I could, if my business could impact the world the way that that guy's business impacts the world, don't wait until you have a business that has an impact in the world. Go ask that guy, how does your business impact the world? Man, if I could align ministry and, and the principles of the kingdom to my everyday life and my everyday finance, man, if I could do that, that would just be amazing. If I could be generous, like anybody ever met somebody generous and you're just like, man, if I, I wish I could give away that kind of money. I wish I could do that. Don't wait till you have it. Ask them how they got there. Find people in your life that are doing what you're doing or doing what you want to be doing and begin over time to imitate them. Here's the thing that I tell young people all the time between the ages of 18 and 30. You're still going to be here when you're 40. You know, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to go so that's just so, many, so, so long. Listen, if you started right now, if you are 30 years old and you start right now, you could be a neurosurgeon if you have the chops. You could be a neurosurgeon by the time you're 46. That's still like a 20-year career as a neurosurgeon. I love one of the ladies that was a longtime member of the church here. She didn't start going to legal school, to law school, until after her kids were grown and out of the house, and she's a district attorney. And it, it was like she didn't even begin the process. She had her bachelor's degree before she had kids. She didn't even begin the process until her kids were well and gone. Wow, incredible. And she has this amazing career as a district attorney. Now, that's in that world. Take that same principle and translate to the world of your faith. And the principles are the same. Don't worry about the goal. Worry about, worry about the behavior and the discipline and, the, and what you need to be hearing and how you need to be living to one day maybe achieve the goal. Because guess what? You're still going to be here 10 years from now. You're st there's no room. I went to Bible college with... A guy, I wish I remember his name, but he was the greeter always, and he always high-fived, and he was literally like 74 years old, and he was in Bible college with me, Bible college student, side by side. You remember his name? Herbert! Herbert! He was the church on the way greeter at the door every Sunday, and we took Bible college classes together, and he was 74, and sometimes he asked some questions. I was like, Herbert, don't ask every question. You know, like sometimes it was tough. Sometimes there was tough there. But Herbert was awesome. And he went to school. I, I'm not sure that he graduated. I think he might have graduated even. But there's, it's never too late. Colonel Sanders cooked his first batch of fried chicken at 64. It's incredible. Come on, Colonel. Get up. Giddy up. How many of you are glad he did? All right. Not all of us. All right. Find someone you admire 
imitate their marriage, how they treat their wife. Man, they have such good kids. Imitate, imitate, imitate. Stop worrying about having to innovate. Listen, I have three more points, but I only have three more minutes. <clears throat> so worship team, if you would come up. I actually have here, so how does this impact our life and why this sermon today? Why this sermon on this day? In the next couple of weeks, and some of you may have already voted, and in the next couple of weeks, you, you know, hopefully everyone who has the ability to vote will vote. Um, and no one ever wants to tell you how to vote, especially a pastor. But I've seen some really respected people in my life talk about voting as if my faith has no impact on my vote as if my values have no impact on my vote, as if my beliefs and who I think God is, my morality, that somehow at the polling place, that needs to get set aside and I just need to vote with this maybe, I don't know, I don't know what they're calling it, logic or party affiliation or what I've always done. Here's the thing. The reason Jesus chose fishermen is because they didn't have that foundation of being programmed. My first point of the sermon, which we're only going to get to the first point, is we need to unlearn. And in order to approach Jesus like kids who are moldable and pliable, we need to unlearn political allegiance. We need to unlearn our political allegiances and vote our values whenever possible. Here's the thing. When you look at Scripture, the New Testament, the Old Testament, there's lots of cases of the people of God being engaged in civil government. That's all throughout scripture. And it's applauded and it's honored and it's valued. We see Esther coming before the king and pleading for the people of Israel. God, save him. We see Joseph being the second man in charge of all of Egypt. We see Daniel going to King Nebuchadnezzar and being a, uh, a light to him, being an advisor, coming and giving him wisdom from God. So there's nothing in scripture that says we should not be involved at a political level at a governmental level. In fact, we're to do and seek the good for the cities and the governments and the communities in which we live. Nothing says we shouldn't be involved. And our faith should impact our politics. Here's what scripture never really saw. I mean, scripture saw it, excuse me. Let me say this the right way. Here's what scripture does not, scripture has no context for what we get to do with our vote. Do you realize that? Like, Scripture, the, the fact that we get to vote, that's unbelievable in human history. In human history, you just were born, and whatever king you were under, good luck, Chuck. That's it. <laughs> what you get is what you get, and you don't throw a fit. You and I, as citizens in a constitutional republic, have this incredible opportunity to impact the government in which we live, to seek the good of the nation we call home. That's incredible. That is such a huge value. And when I started seeing pastors and people that I respect and know and love begin to make statements around the fact that our values have no say in our vote, oh my goodness, what a backwards way to think. We have an opportunity to, in some ways, hear from the Lord. Ask him. Look at the platforms of the different options. And I would say this. I think that 
there are moral issues and political issues. There are moral issues and political issues, and they don't always intersect. But I can tell you this with all of my heart and with all confidence. I am a one-issue voter. That's it. I'm a one-issue voter, and I say it loud and proud, and I'll shout it from the rooftops. And that one issue is abortion. I vote pro-life every time. And I feel like if there are two pro-life candidates, now we can start to parse out some of the other issues. And if there are no pro-life candidates, I don't know that I'd vote. I don't know that I would vote because I believe that platform and policy impacts our every day. And when, we call, when we're called of God to seek the good of our nation, man, that better, we better integrate our faith into that vote. We integrate our faith. We don't, we don't come to it and say, well, that's separate. No, there's nothing about our life that is separate from the kingdom of God and who he's called us to be. So here's my encouragement to you. No matter which way you vote, no matter who you vote for or what you vote for, integrate it into your faith. I, I like to picture myself this way, and I, don't, I know this probably won't happen. I don't think we're going to get to heaven, and God's, we're going to have this moment where we stand before God, and he says, so I noticed that in 2016 you voted this way, but in 20... Okay, that's not going to happen. If you thought that, it's not going to happen. But here's what I, I always picture myself before God. It's like, God, in, in, all good, in all good consciousness, can I vote? I, I, want, I want to be able to be proud that I at least voted in a way that reflected my values. And I believe every Christian should do that. And I get that there's different arguments. I get there's different ways to look at it. And that's between you and the Lord. But I want to encourage you that there is nothing in Scripture that advocates us from a lack of civil engagement. We're called to it. We're called to seek the good of the cities in which we live, the nation in which we live, and we're called to vote. And for me, man, pro-life's a big one. Pro-life's a big one because I feel like it's a direct assault on the heart of God for his creation. That it's a direct assault. Now, listen, I know that there are folks in our, our own church who have had abortions and walked through the pain of that. I know there's folks that have, have dealt with that and experienced healing from that. And then there's those that have not dealt with that and experienced healing from that. Here's what I want to say. My goodness, that little baby is in heaven. <laughs> Praise God. You know, I mean, I think scripture is very clear that the innocents and until they've reached the age of accountability, they are welcomed into eternity. So wherever you're, if, you, if you've had an abortion and you have not received healing for that, my goodness, tell somebody, get somebody to pray for you. Let Jesus free you from the burden and the weight of that. If you're in this room and you, uh, and you have, uh, have you, you've experienced healing from that, don't be ashamed. Share that. If you've, if you've gone through that and you've experienced healing, I love Pastor Francis. He spoke here a few weeks ago, Pastor Francis and Fuso. I love that he is so confident when he shares about the abortions that he participated in as a young man. And you can, you can hear and you can see the freedom that has come as he's allowed that to be a part of his testimony and not a shackle that binds him. So hear my heart. God has a plan and a hope and a future for every single one of us. He has redemption and grace and forgiveness for every single one of us. But when it comes to what each of us will do in the next couple of weeks, maybe some already have, invite God into that conversation. Invite the morality of Scripture into that conversation. And don't buy this garbage lie. And it is. It is a garbage lie 
that your values shouldn't affect your vote. That is so sad, and it's not true. Everybody just say, it's not true. It's not true. Your values should come into play when you vote. Absolutely, every time we have an incredible opportunity that has never, that really in the history of the human world is very rare, okay? So vote your values as you approach the polls in the next couple of weeks. Amen.